Hi, I'm Stuart McLeod, co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. Today, I'm joined by Seth Feinberg. Seth is the owner of Accountants Ford, and he has served as an editor for Accounting Today and Accounting Web US. With over 30 years of experience in the accounting profession, Seth is now helping bridge the gap between accounting technology providers and the people they serve. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, Seth Feinberg. It's been ages. How are you? It has been a minute, my friend. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I've Obviously, some of the things that uh, may come up in our formal conversation here is that, uh, you know, I had to kind of figure out what my next move was. You know, I've worn editor hats in a, in a, a few places and I've been around this profession now over 20 years. So, yeah, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> they can't seem to get rid of me, mate. No matter what they do. <laughs> Can't seem to get rid of me. So I had to figure out the overwhelmingly just, you know, reading the tea leaves and and that it seemed that overwhelmingly was I need to try to find a place and a way to stay and continue to contribute in some way. Because I always felt that even though, you know, whatever, I was journalist, editor, whatever, sort of, you usually had some publication title over my head, I grew to really care about you know the folks in this profession the accountants i'm talking about and even through covering tech and looking at things through that lens you realize that you know how important that relationship is and that they all can play nicely in the sandbox because all boats will rise we've kind of hit a point and i think the light bulb truly went off in my head was you know we had a, a live event last year that we had our buddy uh, Clayton speak at. It was very important to me. I felt like his voice and his perspective should be there because he's truly an independent. Um, and he's also somebody too that, you know, that's kind of been loved and respected, you know, over here stateside for some time. Yeah, he's And he's built that. Even if he is an Aussie. Exactly. <laughs> but he's built it. Despite everything. <laughs> Despite it all, he really is, he's respected, he's knowledgeable, and, you know, he's also been there. He's was in the seat of trying to kind of better these relationships between the profession and the vendors. He got burned a few times and really had some good stories to tell. And he's like, look, the profession right now, and he and I, you know, kind of collaborated on what he was going to say. And that's when I realized, okay, you know, I think we're, we've got something here is that the profession is really at a point of inflection, definitely here in North America, for sure, where you have so much tech that is pervasive. Is that my fault? Is that <laughs> Not at all. It's just pervasive in, in the profession and everything they do, Stuart, everything. It's just, you really just can't you know, be at a point where you can't use, you know, something to automate this or, or that or, or the other thing. But in order to do that, it's not a relationship that is going to work out well if you don't have that at least, you know, decent communication between said vendor and said professional. I don't care how large or small you are, particularly the small guys, which it's a different dynamic. Like I, I know in the UK where our former parent was, it's typically mid to larger firms over there. Not that there aren't a lot of small firms. There are, 
But when you're talking about the profession over there, it tends to be the mid to larger guys. Over here in North America, it's quite the opposite. Yeah, it's an L-shaped curve. Yeah. The majority of the profession are, are very small shops. And they go to work as a CPA. They go to work as a bookkeeper. They go to work as a tax professional every day. And they have maybe a handful of staff or so and clients to boot that have evolving needs. And, you know, they need to evolve with them. So part of that is the relationship with said vendor or said vendors, I think, needs to be vastly improved for the betterment of all. The trust has to be back there. You need to establish that early on. And not to show, you know, for carbon, but, you know, just getting, you know, knowing Ian as I do and really getting to know carbon from uh, the very, very early days is I've really enjoyed their and appreciate their approach to the market is like, look, sure, have we spent a lot of money and time on this product, on this platform, this thing? Shitloads. <laughs> this thing that we have? Absolutely. You're allowed to swear here. It's all right. But you don't come to market like that. You're like, hey, we're here to help. We have tons of content for you. We want to be your partner. We want to help you. If carbon is for you, great. It might not be, but you're still going to look upon us fondly. And so that maybe this is something I think, you know, the CPAs in particular who are maybe going into building these higher value, like these cast practices and the like, or trying to do this higher value work, they could kind of learn from this sort of approach of just saying, hey, look, you can partner with me. I am really on your side, Mr. and Mrs. Client. I'm really on your side, Mr. and Mrs. You know, accountant. Because I want to see you do better. I want to see you succeed. Because if you succeed, then we do too. And again, all boats rise. I'm going to probably say that a few times. But I really, truly believe in it. So I've now formed a business around that core purpose of all boats rising in this profession, which I care about because I've been a business journalist for over 30 years. I know that business, small business, in particular, small mid-sized businesses, it's been said time and time again, not just by me, I'm just really repeating, what the statistics are is that they are the cornerstone of our economy. And everything that is, you know, you know, most things that are good and in the world that we live in, they're a part of it. They're part of that fabric. And you don't want to see that fabric fray or, or go away. And the pandemic really, really, I think showed the resilience of some and the the entrepreneurial and innovative spirit of some and also how harsh things can be if you're really not you know if you don't have that professional in your corner that's helping you with cash flow that's helping you with forecasting with the actual planning part of your business and then even in the unfortunate event that you have to wind down they're there for that too to hold your hand and say goodbye and make sure that people are paid off and things like that. If you have that good relationship, and it's not just, oh, I, you know, I can't afford my CPA anymore because I'm in too much trouble. It's like, that's the last thing you should be getting rid of, pal. Yeah. <laughs> the last thing that you should cut off is the one that's in your corner. And I know a lot of firms, small firms who are struggling themselves, did some pro bono work because they knew that their clients just, they couldn't do it for a few months or several months or for that period of time. So I think in the vendor world, back to that again, I feel that, you know, you know, so with Carbon's approach of putting quality content out there, of educating, 
as much as they can. I believe in that. I believe that I have a voice and I have relationships that you know can help uh, vendors in this space in a myriad of ways. What's the business called, Seth? I'm calling it Accountants Forward LLC. Okay, that's a good name. But it's me. So it's not this whole other thing. I mean, for now, I mean, sure, I would love to get to the point of where I'm like, oh, yeah, this is actually a thing that I could maybe even... This is a money thing. This is money. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, for now it is. It's my business. But I'd love for it to maybe grow to where I could be like, you know, for tax reasons, I I could make it an S-corp because I'm earning enough and I need to pay employees, at least, you know, myself and, you know, maybe somebody else or whatever. I'd love to grow it to that point. Well, you got to start somewhere. So I started off this year officially. I've got a website in the works. I was kind of hoping it would be up and about by now, but I've seen it at least in its sort of building block form and it's nearly there. But I'm also, I have some bigger goals too of, you know, maybe having a regular newsletter that is going to you know go out with my name on it of being able to maybe do some podcasts maybe even offer some cpe as well i'm partnering for that as well so i, I you know i don't want to reveal too too much just yet cuz the ink is not dry on these things but it's in discussion it's in at least my head to go yeah like the value of me can't be just like stuff that i write or edit I want to get in on the planning side of things of how do we have these conversations again? You know, accounting web leaving the market, I think left a pretty big hole. If I do say, because I, you know, I helped devise and the people that I worked with supported and believed in the same idea that quality content really moves the needle for the profession. They consume so much. And there's so many different places you can go and no disrespect to any of the accounting titles out there, but I felt that our approach was different. It really was less of a publication and more of a resource and a platform for thought leadership to happen. And that's why I think we got along with Carbon so well, because, you know, we had, look, we had a whole section of our site called Practice Excellence. I mean, we can debate over who thought of it first, but, you know. (laughs) Was he in trying to claim that, is he? (laughs) It was us. It didn't matter. It was like we were just thinking along the same lines. I said, so I want to focus, you know, my energy and my time and my passion towards that same idea that we had at Accounting Web, which was, you know, if we can put out this quality content, I really think it's going to help the profession. They're going to read these things. They're going to engage with um, you know, vendors and with in a more sort of trusting kind of way in a less salesy sort of way. And at the very least, you're going to read something or listen to something that is going to mean something to you in your practice. That is why I'm doing what I'm doing these days. Again, I don't know if you had a particular agenda, if you wanted me to just to just rattle on. <laughs> We're on here. We're recording. This is the podcast. If that's how life works. But you've had a long history with the industry. How did you get started in... Uh journalism and then how did you fall into accounting i think it started for me i think my last year of college i graduated in 91 and so it's going back a while you know i went to a general you know a liberal arts uh, school that did have a pretty strong you know literary you know program so i was an english major communications minor i took a, a course it was a senior level course called writing for the media 
I'd never really sort of done that. I've done other sort of media related course, but never something that was writing for a media. And the professor was also a, uh, you know, a journalist herself and, and also a, a playwright. And she eventually went on to do more of that. But, you know, we had assignments and had to research and all these things. And she had pulled me aside one day and said, you know, you have the stuff. She said, I think that you could be a good journalist. She's like, I, I think you're ready for Rolling Stone now. And I teared up and I just felt like I have my why. I have my end because I was like, you know what? I do enjoy, you know, the sort of, you know, the building and the sharing of information out there. I think that's the sign of a, a good journalist is that you want to tell a good story. You want to and not, you know, a made up one with the attack that the media has come under in recent times. You know, I definitely feel that. And I understand where it comes from because there are so many ways and places that you can get information now. It's hard to know what to to really believe in and really, you know, just kind of feel like, oh, is this, you know, is this for real? Is this for me? And so I always believed in just in getting the most balanced sort of person. That's how I started in journalism and I really wanted to do that. So I got a job. I, I had an internship through college, my last year of college, and they hired me full time at a, uh, a newsroom that distributed news to local radio and TV. I was just writing briefs and things like that and worked in a, a you know, hectic. I was, I had to be in at five in the morning and some days, some days stayed till midnight, you know, depending on my shift, I, we had different shifts. And, you know, I was realized I was in three years time, I was getting really burnt and I wanted to write. I wanted to like do stories, like real stories. And so I, you know, I'm in the media capital of the world. I think New York city, there was endless publishing companies that had a lot of them had business to business titles. And so I ended up getting hired by, of all things, a daily metals and mining publication. Oh, there you go. It was called the American Metal Market, which is now owned by, it's, uh, it's like the London Metals Report or something like that. I forgot they merged in, but it was really one of the oldest. It goes back to the 1800s this publication. And so I was just a grunt, you know, reporter. I, I would have to just, it was just one of these, you had a pod of editors and then the reporters kind of sat around or they're, they're in different corners and it'd be like, Feinberg, give me six inches on this. Give me nine inches on that. And you, you know, the computer that I, I wrote on, it had a program. It was called Xyrite. So some of us who are in the field would know what that is. It was something that put something into column inches for you. And you would, you know, type that in and hit send and it'll go off the editor's desk. And then, you know, you would just sort of wait just feverishly because you couldn't really, really <laughs> unless you had to go to the loo, the deadline was like one o'clock, you know, by two, like it was done, done, done for the day. But by usually one, one thirty, unless something was really breaking, you pretty much had to be within eye or earshot of an editor would raise their hand and go over here. And they'd have to know that they'd fact check things on the spot. You'd have to bring, you know, be there, my notepad. I eventually learned to love it and hate it at the same time. Like, it's just, it's like being a chef in the kitchen, which by the way, is the only other thing I ever wanted to do was cook. That's my only other like real passion other than music. I know there's no money in. And so I've just been playing in bands for that long, just for fun and, and just to keep young and all that. But yeah, it really was like being like a young chef in the kitchen. You were abused and yelled at and berated left and right, but it made you really focus and think. And so that's how I got into kind of business journalism. I just sort of stayed with it. I wrote about uh, venture capital. I got to interview uh, some pretty great names like Jeff Bezos and Mark Benioff, 
uh, when they were first getting their venture money for their new ideas back in the 90s. You know, I saw that that original bubble grow and burst. And I was one, one of the few, you know, folks who were in that field at the time who were like, yeah, this is not going to last very long. You've got 24, 25-year-old kids getting out of university, top universities, with an idea for a dot-com or some piece of tech and no business plan whatsoever. You know, good on good on you, Harvard. Good on you, Stanford. <laughs> you just took all this money, millions of dollars. You blew it on big parties and marketing. And I know because I was at a lot of those parties. Yeah, you were there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was out in San Francisco a few times a year. New York was also really bubbling too. Texas as well. So I went down there a couple of times, Miami a couple of times. But by and large, like uh, Boston, of course, where a lot of these things were, were happening because I was working at the time for my very first online publication. It was called Channel7.com. And we were an offshoot of a web development shop. Uh, those were pretty popular in the late 90s, web dev shops. It was called Mercury 7. It eventually was rolled up into a, a much bigger company, which grew and crashed and burned called Exceed. They were on par with like Razorfish and Organic, and they were pretty much like that. They wanted to do it all. PR, web design, marketing, this, that, technology. They just kind of also crashed and burned. You know, we got sold off to another internet publishing conglomerate called internet.com. It was owned by this Alan Meckler, which some people might know. And that really kind of gave me, you know, a real intro into online publishing as well and how different the voice is or can be. And you know, I stayed with it to the point. So accounting, I stumbled across back in, uh, again, a little over 20 years, so 2002, again, just looking for another job. They liked my experience at that point, And I didn't have to, they're like, hey, if you don't know anything about accounting, that's fine. And that's the great thing about trade journalism is like you could really immerse yourself in some new topic. And if you knew what it took to put a good story together or or just, you know, cultivate sources as I did, you know, and that was the key really is getting that trust and cultivating those sources and being present, being available, getting the trust there. You did your job well. I just grew to really, really enjoy the profession, as I said, because I had an understanding, you know, it kind of took the picture and made it whole. I could see the whole world at that point of like, wow, accounting really is at the core all that makes business work. If business is really the lifeblood, you know, this is like, you know, the accountants are the little nanobots that help keep it running and moving. Or if you want to look at it that way, or if you want, if you don't want to get as techie, you can be like, you know, they're the cardiologist that makes sure that your things are pumping, they're, they're moving. So that eventually led to accounting web, I assume. Counting web happened again. I was a few times in my career. You know, I've been sort of freelance looking for the next thing. I actually worked for Ad Age magazine for a little while. I was I was their B two B editor and reporter, senior reporter and editor for B two B. I was it. Any business to business, you know, marketing, advertising, things going on. I was the guy. That was a gig that didn't last very long. Not for any fault of my own. They just, you know, financially, they were just kind of like, well, you know, you're one of the first new hires and we're, we have to let a bunch of people go. So, you know, here's your severance and good luck to you. So at that time, you know, again, I was freelancing. I was doing a little work for Joe Woodard. I was writing for Intuitive Account and I was doing a little writing for Accounting Today. I was keeping involved in the things that I knew 
regarding accounting tech and accounting the profession. I had met some wonderful people already. And uh, along comes this uh, British fellow, Andy North, who was our publisher. And uh, he found me on LinkedIn and was like, hey, we need an editor for America, for the US. Uh, he's like, I was flown over here to kind of you know, write the ship and get the business going. And they, you know, he really, you know, we had some pretty deep conversations just about the overall business model, even well before I was hired. I said, look, if you're going to hire me, like we kind of have to have a different approach. We can't just be another accounting publication because right now accounting web at that time was struggling because they weren't differentiating themselves. They were kind of in the same advertiser and sponsor pool as all the other titles. So like, what are we going to do? What are we going to put out there in the market that's different? And so we kind of came up with this approach of being, of really kind of marrying sort of editorial and marketing together and figuring out how it can be seamless and how it can also still be useful and profitable at the same time. And so that is pretty much where we came up with, you know, this idea of like, wow, we're actually more of a, a community site, we're a destination, we're, you know, anything but like a real publication in the traditional term. We were never in print anyway, and not that you need to be to be a publication, but you know, we just believed in the ideas that I had laid out earlier in our conversation about what I believe of the impact of content on trust, on being informative, being practical and useful. That was our mantra. That was our that was our, our sort of mission statement is to produce content that was practical and useful to an accounting professional. So if you went to work every day as an accounting professional in a firm you know, not in usually in, and we were made that distinction. It's like, you know, you're not in necessarily business industry. You're actually the person who's on the outside helping them out, you know, with their books, with their taxes, with their compliance, and every, you know, business direction, everything. We're for you. We're who you need to be reading because we're here to help you. And, you know, if you want sort of news and, and other things, you want to find out what's going on in the profession. I, I came in saying, you know what? I felt the profession was covered. It was well covered by uh, you know, my colleagues in the in accounting press. We needed to do something else. And I felt that we finally, you know, were able to put that on stage almost, you know, literally, you know, last year during our live event. And that was really going to be kind of our next iteration and and where the business, the business itself was going to go. Just timing didn't really, you know, work out for us, you know, with that. You know, we had a, a parent company in the UK that is they're still around. Accounting Web is still, you know, a big title, you know, over there. But they just were having trouble sort of sustaining us and them. And it was, you know, and, and I know that it was difficult to close us. So that brings us to, you know, kind of, you know, end of August, you know, September 1st of last year. You know, I had to figure out, you know, where it is where I wanted to go. So I started having some conversations with Ian and a few others out there, the people that I knew and have known for some time. And they were all like, you should continue doing what you're doing and find support for what you're doing because you know you're thinking in the right direction and it was great to hear because i do believe in this steward i do believe in in content and the right relationships you know and i know i've mentioned this several times already but it can't be stressed enough the individual problems that you see the profession facing from a you know staffing you know point of view from you know oh getting our heads around new technology and you know, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about that? How do I evolve my business beyond point A where I first started to, to maybe just you know doing something else, something else of value? All of these things I feel require trust in the technology and services, the partnerships, really, the potential partnerships that are available to you to help you do just that. 
because there's a, a myriad of choices out there. And if you look at it, you know, the, the entire field, it can be very overwhelming. But, you know, usually in an accountant's life, you know, it's like, oh, man, I wish, you know, I had something that did this better. And chances are there probably is something out there that is. And you need to know about it and you need to talk to them and help them partner with you because they're there to help you. And, you know, by helping you, it helps them. And again, all boats rise. How do you think the traditional vendors have sort of evolved compared to some of the newer ones? Well, I mean, they've had to be more responsive, I think. And it's tough too, as you get bigger and it's just business. I hate to write it off that simply and that that quickly and flippantly, but it is. And they have to sort of look at their bottom line and where business is coming in from and and all that. And it's not that they don't care about the, the relationship with the accountant. I think that they should a bit more. And maybe at one time, some of them did, and they're starting to maybe not behave that way. I'm not naming names, but I'm seeing it happen and I'm seeing tempers fray a bit over it. And I've seen it before as companies get bigger. I saw it, you know, with some of the bigger product names, you know, out there. I think Microsoft comes to mind. At one point you had some of these firms and businesses that were, you know, they brought up on Microsoft. They're like, man, I was with you since 3.1 or Windows 95 and 95, yeah. Started up. Yeah, we were a Microsoft <laughs> shop through and through. You know, Outlook did everything for me. You evolved your CRM system based on your on your Outlook and then, you know, Office 365 and all these things. They had partners too that were helping them, you know, resell and do all of the, you know, the implementation and all of the real grunt work on behalf of these products. And all of a sudden they started feeling, you know, a little bit brushed aside too. And the thing is, it happens. But with the accounting profession, the difference to me is all gets back to that trust. You know, if an accountant doesn't trust you any longer, that you are truly a partner for them and not just someone who's wants to take their or their client's money, just that feeling. I mean, you know, they might at the end of the day, like that's the reality, but if they don't feel that way, then all's going to be good. You know, if they don't feel like they're reaching out to you more with the evolution of their their products and services that are supposed to be for accountants and the work that they do vis-a-vis, you know, the client work, they're going to have a bigger problem with you. And with the amount of choices that there are now versus even 10 years ago, I would be concerned. I don't care that you're a multi-billion dollar company or a known name, or they've been using you for 10 years, 20 years. You lose that trust, it's going to take a long time to get it back, if ever. So that's how I feel that it's changed. What's one way, uh, Stuart, that I I feel that, that things have changed with the you know traditional... I'm using finger quotes for no one who's not, for anyone who's not on video. <laughs> the traditional, <laughs> you know, software companies, which is still funny to say, but yeah, there is the old guard, and then there's like this this app over here that doesn't require like all this other stuff, and it's fun times, man. It really is, but you know, again, so whatever I feel that I can do, I'm going to help, you know, with this transition to the next phase of accounting, which is which is coming, which some of it is here already. I've seen a lot of the, you know, as much as there's the traditional, you know, software vendor, there's the traditional accounting firm, CPA firm of old. And a lot of that is 
has aged out or is in the process of doing so I'd say in the next few years. And so, you know, people kind of more my age, my generation are, are kind of running things or even younger. A lot of millennial run firms, possibly even some early Gen Z run firms. The TikTokers. Hey, I can imagine you, Seth, rocking on TikTok. I don't do that. My kids seem to love the TikTok. <laughs> it's not. You never know. There's still hope for you. <laughs> you know, just so how business is getting done and the folks that advise them and keep them compliant and all those things, like just the whole structure of, of how firms do things, how work is done, everything really has changed and is changing. And, you know, Rather than sort of this wave of change that I've seen, I, and I, I wrote about this, um, it's, there's an article coming out in, uh, in CPA Trendlines that is going to sort of point attention to this factor that we're pretty much at like the, the crest of this wave of change that's been growing, I would say, for the past 10 years. And I think accountants, you know, there's plenty of them that either if you're not writing it already, you kind of run the risk of being of being of either getting getting out of the way, getting getting drawn under, drawn under, or you're riding it. Go to the golf course or get on board, right? <laughs> I don't know if you surf at all, Stuart, but uh, a little bit. Most Aussies don't have a choice; they they grow up going to the beach. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of you're on the coast mostly. I did too. I grew up on the Jersey Shore uh, here in the states. You know, I tried. I wasn't much of a surfer. I was fine. You're just kind of diving into a wave and letting it carry me. I was good at the bodyboarding. I was fine at that. That was cool. Or, you know, you get you have the little... It's always a worry when you come out <laughs> when you're upside down. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. You get jumping sand out of your shorts and whatnot. But that was fine for me. But I knew, I knew plenty of kids who did. But, you know, the point is, is that, you know, if you're not prepared to really kind of ride that and be with it and let it carry you to your next destination, you know, it could be pretty scary. It could be scary just in and of itself. It just is. What do you think is the next big thing for the technology uh, in accounting industry? Well, I think we're already seeing it, man. It's just the next level of automation. You know, that being, of course, people think it's a misnomer to call it artificial intelligence, but really it's just another degree of automation that's there. Cloud and cloud tech was from 10 years ago. Yeah, I think we're all fully clouded out, aren't we? Or clouded up. Well, nearly clouded up. <laughs> this is how you work. You download an app, you log into a site on your browser, you're part of the system that's doing your work, you're there with your clients, just like we're here on this screen together. And that's just almost the normal way, you know, or you're exchanging things electronically, whatever it is, is likely cloud or SaaS based at this point. By and large, you know, and so doing all of that behind the scenes is the tech that you all have, have sort of built in to do it, you know, or maybe you've even built in some degree of AI into what you do to kind of just kind of crunch things and make things go a little faster, a little more seamless, just so you can get on with what you do as a human better. So we're just really at kind of the very beginning stages of it. I remember first starting to hear the words machine learning and AI in regards to accounting, I would say maybe about six, seven years back. You know, you started first hearing it from the big, you know, the core vendors uh, in the space, the core accounting platforms. They all had something. Some of them had some chat already built into it. You, know, you could talk to QuickBooks, you could talk to Sage, you could talk to Zero about 
pulling up some chart of accounts or some expenses, you know, whatever, just basic, basic stuff. And, uh, you know, obviously with uh, what's, you know, GPT-4, ChatGPT and, and other iterations, things like that, that are maybe getting the spotlight now, ultimately that type of thing is just going to be a part of what is doing some of the work and some of the things that maybe you know, necessarily feel like doing or takes up some of the time doing. And I think that, you know, accounts are at a point too with all of what, you know, the question 10 years ago is, oh man, like with all this automation going on, will I have a job? <laughs> do I have a job? Or how do, you know, people pay me? Like I can't charge an hourly rate anymore. It doesn't feel right because all this is getting done so fast. Or what do I do with that time? A lot of folks were not taught what to do with the extra time that they technically now have. You're, if you're strict about it, you know, you now have that extra time in your day. You know, it's a little scary when you're used to working a certain way and all of a sudden you don't have to. Well, the thing is, the good news is for you, Mr. and Mrs. Professional, is that it's still going to require a human being to interpret some of the data and to just still be the one who is the main one, you know, explaining things to your clients, to your customers, you know, what it is, you know, that they've discovered with the reports that they now have, thanks to the automation that they've invested in or have signed up to do. It's funny, you know, just how, again, 10 years ago, I remember, you know, even, or even, even a little longer, was 2013, I would say go back to even 2010, 2011, starting to hear about how automation is, well, for one, I started hearing about how cloud was ultimately going to kill the IT department. That was a big one. And some of them, I think IT departments and the whole idea of what the IT department is or does, or the IT professional does, it's just been kind of reimagined a bit more. Security is still a major, major concern. You know, the more we use tech, the more we're involved in using our browsers, using our phones, using applications. It can't be stressed enough that this is something to stay on top of. So there's some accounting professionals who have chosen, like, you know what, I'm going to get to know why these things happen. I'm going to get to know how to do things more securely. I could maybe even advise my clients the same way once I'm sort of trained up to do that. That all makes sense. So for you, Seth, as we wrap up here today on the Accounting Leaders Podcast, where should we look out for you and your musings? And uh, have we got you writing on the Carbon blog yet? Has Ian sorted that out? He is not. Oh, well, that's a bit remiss of him, isn't it? We better, we better, we better make that happen. I know that we talked about doing some kind of fireside chat kind of thing, but also he's like, he did mention to me, he wasn't totally remiss. He did mention to me, some boys like, yeah, he's like, we should get you writing. And I'm like, sure, man, like, let's do that. Happy to do that. Let's make that happen. It's cold enough here for a fire, but I haven't got one yet. Then we would have had a fireside chat today, but we can, we can manage that. <laughs> oh, that <laughs> Whatever works, man. Fantastic. Well, Seth, it's been great to catch up with you. Uh, thank you for all, everything that you've contributed to the industry over the years, and I'm sure we'll continue to do so. <laughs> Seth Feinberg, thanks for being on the Accounting Leaders Podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a thousand free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. 
just head to carbonhq.com slash resources. I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you in the next episode of the Accounting Leaders Podcast.